Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful and challenging uh, Palm Sunday, especially after the events of um, Monday, March 20th at Lamar High School, and then Monday, March 27th um, up at Covenant School in in Nashville. And this is the first Palm Sunday. I'm not really going to be... Um, reflecting upon the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem only because so many of us know people involved in both of those situations and what is our response and what is our hope and how do we reflect upon these things as um, folks who follow Jesus and try to make sense of what's going on in the world. So we'll reflect on some of those things this morning. Um, Our first text this morning comes from John chapter 16 verse 33 but I'm going to be using the translation This is one of my favorite translations of the New Testament by David Bentley Hart. It's simply called the New Testament. And I want to read to you his his translation of John 16, verse 33. Jesus says the following, I have spoken these things to you so that you might have peace in me. In the cosmos you have suffering. But take heart, I have conquered the cosmos. I love that rendering. Now, Romans 8, verses 18 to 30 in the NRSV. This is, by the way, as I read this, I know that these verses are, are similar to, or these are familiar to many of you. I want you to think of these verses as one song. It's the groaning of God. And, and the groaning of God is the whole melody line of the song. And the end of the song is still in that song called the groaning of God. I think we read the first part of Romans 8:18 8, as groaning, and then the second part as it's all fixed now. It's not. It's all part of the same song. And I'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. This is all part of the same song, okay? This is the Apostle Paul reflecting and writing to the church at Rome. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its enslavement to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together as it suffers together in the pains of labor. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly while we wait for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what one already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, We wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good, for those who love God, who are called according to His purposes. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him give us everything? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Last Sunday after the service, um, Moo, who, who's related to uh, Lauren, Moo came up to me in the service, and Moo is a teacher at Lamar High School. And she came to me and she said, it wasn't one of my children. And I just hugged her. And what happened was, uh, on Monday, March 20th, a young man um, went to the school before school and stood outside while kids were waiting and randomly shot another student and ran away. He also shot one more student, and it grazed her, but it didn't kill her. But the the 16-year-old boy was killed, and he was memorialized the Blessed Sacrament in uh, Fort Worth this last Sunday. The young man's been charged this week. He knew none of those kids. He just went to his high school and took a rifle and shot a kid in front of his own school. On Monday, March 27th at 10 a.m., six people were killed at Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. The pastor of that church is a friend of mine. The pastor of that church was one of your elders' pastor. Brooks and Ashley Eigel. Brooks was there yesterday at the memorial. Brooks and Ashley grew up with the Scruggs kids in college. They went to their house all the time. They were just with Hallie last, what, four weeks ago? In February, when Chad was here. And um, it was difficult. It was a difficult time for them. And I know this is a difficult subject, and I'm really sorry that I have to bring these things up. But I think it's We've got to talk about these things. We have to understand how do we respond to these things when these things happen to children. I have a son that lives in Nashville. We have a grandbaby that lives there. She starts preschool tomorrow. And mom and dad um, have a lot of interpretation. The world's a different place now. as to what happened. And I think the question we have to deal with is, how do we respond to these things? How do we trust God? How do we love God in the midst of these things? Well, this is not new to the Christian faith. Um, 
the suffering of life and the presence of the love of God. It's a difficult thing, but it's not a new issue. And I want to remind you what Jesus said in John 16. He said, in this, in the cosmos, isn't that beautiful? Not just in the world, but in the whole cosmos, you'll have suffering. But take heart, I've conquered the cosmos. We will have suffering. God in the flesh says that in this world, in this cosmos, we will suffer. We tend to avoid those things, but suffering is inevitable. And suffering is not because we've done something wrong. Suffering isn't there because our parents have done something wrong. Suffering is there because we just simply live in the cosmos. And the reason that Jesus came is to relieve that suffering, to relieve it by overwhelming it and conquering it. So I thought I'd go through just a few-minute reflection on when the world is on fire, how do we not believe in God? And when the world is on fire, how do we hang on to God? When suffering comes, we don't know what to say. I'll tell you what I do. And I've learned to do this only after doing it wrong for so many times. I know there's one prayer that God will always answer. It's three words. God have mercy. And that's all I pray because I know God will always answer that. I am not God, but I do know that God is full of mercy. And the one prayer I pray when I do not know what to pray is simply this, God have mercy. And I have full confidence that that prayer will be answered. There's a tradition in the Christian faith, in the, in the Orthodox Church, of saying old prayers. We say old prayers here too. There's an old prayer called the Trisayan prayer or the Trisagian prayer that I want to share with you right now. In fact, we might start saying it. This is how in many churches around the world, particularly in Turkey and in um, Syria and in Greece and in Ethiopia, um, this is a prayer that is begun in the service. Let me read it to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fills all things, treasury of good things and the giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. And I love this phrase here. O heavenly King, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who is in all places and fills all things. Where is God? God is filling all places and in all things. Now, it's not saying God is all things. It's just that God sustains all things. He's the Lord. He's the giver of life. Sometimes we ask the question, where was God on Monday, March 20th? Where was God on Monday, March 27th? 
as hard as it is for us to understand, our hope is only found in this, that God was nearer to those people than they are to themselves. Period. He is in all places, and he fills all things. But if God was near to them and fills all things, then why did these bad things happen? Oh, that's another good question. And then we often say, well, if God is love and God is all-powerful, then how did evil get there? Because either God is all-loving or God is all-powerful, but he can't be both. Have you ever heard that before? Or wrestle with that? Okay, take, take a breath and also realize, you know, this is not a new issue for the church or for our ancient family, um, our, uh, the, our Hebrew family. This is as old as creation itself. And the, the problem with that question is that it's just not a good question. You say, it is a good question. No, it's not, because it makes certain, certain assumptions. If God is good, or God is all love, and God is all powerful, then how, how did evil break in? Here's the problem with that question. We're assuming that God's love and God's power are equally God's essence. We're doing this as though God is Mr. Potato Head. He's this brown blob, and you just stick on a nose, and that's love, and you stick on glasses, and that's power, and that's equal. Well, they are, aren't they, Mark? No. Power is not the essence of God. This scripture makes it very clear that God is, and you finish it for me. What does St. John say? God is what? Love. And his love is a subset of his power. It's all-powerful love. So how does all-powerful love reign in this world? Well, let's ask another question. When God uses the word love, is it the same word that we use for love? In other words, if, you, if you're a loving human being, if you're a papa or a mom or an aunt or an uncle, or if you have an aunt or an uncle and you love them, can we say that God loves the same way we do? Or is God's love so different than our love, we don't have any relationship to it? I'll get a little nerdy for you. In philosophy and theology, this is called equivocity versus univocity. And here's what equivocity means. Equal voices. That you use one word, like the word love, and it can mean nine different things. That's equivocity. Or you have one word, love, and it means the same. It means the same for us as it does for God. Now, the way the Bible comes to us, the way the Holy Scriptures come to us, God says, love one another as I have what? Loved you. That means, God says, the way that I show love to you, you show love to each other. That's called univocity. Meaning there's one meaning for love. And God's power is powerful love. Does powerful love purposefully inflict suffering on children? Okay, you're a parent. If you pur purposely inflict suffering on, on your child, and I don't mean surgery that they need to get the cancer out, I mean just inflict suffering on the child, and you said to your child, honey, that's an expression of my love. 
That's a kid headed for counseling very soon. Because that makes no sense to them. We don't purposely inflict suffering on our children as a form of love. So God's power has to be a subset of God's love. Well, God is sovereign. Oh, you're right. But let's talk about what sovereign means. Have you heard that word, the sovereignty of God? What is the sovereignty of God? The word sovereignty simply means rule or reign or governance. The prophet Isaiah said, and the government will be upon his what? Shoulders. Okay, I don't do that Messiah very well, but that's what it is. It's talking about Jesus. It's about the sovereignty of God. The government will be upon his shoulders. Where is the government upon the shoulders of Jesus on Good Friday? So his sovereignty is his rule and reign. And his rule and reign began at creation. But how was it exercised? It was exercised in his life, death, and resurrection. How does this king demonstrate his reign? How is this king so different than other kings? When some kings come into a land, what do they do to the people living there? They enslave them. They take them over. How does Jesus instill his reign as sovereign Lord? By healing babies and, and sick women and men. And taking our sins upon himself. And dying for us. And absorbing all the bad things that we've done. And bearing it like shmoo into the ground and rising on the third day and says, peace I give to you, not like the world gives to you. And he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. It's a sovereignty of love exercised by self-donating love, radical forgiveness, and co-suffering presence with those who suffer. So his sovereignty is sovereign love. But we have to remember how when God himself showed up and demonstrated his sovereignty, it's way different than other kings who just do whatever they want. So what does that mean? That means that evil and death that come into this world are not from the sovereign God. They're an intrusion. It's sin that came in. And that sin is a consequence of freedom. God... God loves us, and love is never coercive. Remember the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son? God said, that's a picture of me. Jesus said, that's a picture of me. This, this dad, that's God, has a couple of kids, and one kid says, I hate you, I want to leave, I want my inheritance. And what did the dad say? Did he coerce him? He said, okay, you can go. Non-coercive love. And then eventually that kid came back home, didn't he? It came back home. But here's the thing. Well, how can that be powerful? Like, Lord, how can that be powerful? Here's how powerful God is. Jesus, who's God in the flesh, when he came to this world, he reversed all the effects of sin and, and pain and suffering without coercion, without force, and without violence. And he destroyed all of it through love. You know why? Because love is stronger than death. So the love of Jesus, his sovereign love, is stronger than brute force. 
because he can get his way without coercion and win without coercion. Who can do that? Only God. Are you all hearing that? That's so important to grasp. It's pure power is not love. Now here's why I bring this up. People say, well, God is all-powerful, but his power has to be exercised in his love. So I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is we've got to ask better questions. Like, what is the essence of God? Is it power or is it love? If his essence is love, then his power is a subset of his love. And words mean things. According to Romans chapter 8, I think they're under the idea that God's power is under his love. Because when suffering comes, Paul says in this present age, when this present age happens... Notice what Paul said. He said, we don't say, well, I guess it's God's sovereignty who wrote this in all eternity past for me. No, 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 no. That's not what Paul says. Because God's, according to Paul, the sovereignty of God is a subset of God's love. And when suffering comes, Paul says what we do together is we realize that God made creation good. We've made it bad. God's going to renew it. And when we suffer, we begin to groan. Groaning is the response of God's people when we suffer. And Paul says it's like a mama in labor because something better is coming. This is not right. When we see pain and suffering, something very innocent inside of us says, this is not right, and it's not. And who's beginning the groaning? We are. Then God says, I'm joining in the chorus, and the Spirit begins to groan. Why? Because this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, why am I getting so loud with this? Because God was present when Haley died. But God did not write that from all eternity that that was her role. I am tired of Christians saying that. That's a heresy. You tell that to that mother, that God planned that for your little girl. God did not plan that for her. God planned for her to be in Christ. I am tired of that. That's how kids walk away from the church. Because you never know when your number's up. That's wrong. It's sovereign love, not inscrutable, blind, ambitious power. And I've dealt with so many people who have walked away from Jesus because that's what people told them. Well, that's your role. No, no, that's Islamic faith. That's not Christian faith. Allah has 99 names, and one of them is the one who deceives. Our God never deceives. He is the truth. Well, God's free to do whatever He wants. No, He's not. God's free to do whatever He does in His love. God is truth itself, and He can't tell a lie. God is love itself. He can't do anything unloving. He can't. He can't. He's bound by His own goodness. And He's the source of all love and goodness and truth. God is with Hallie and those six people. And her innocent blood cries from the ground and one day it's going to be risen up and she's going to be reunited with her family. And that's going to be overcome by the conquering love of Jesus. We have to ask better questions. I think we also have to... Um, We have to ponder simple topics. We need to think about simple topics. 
For example, if, if, if I have just a minute, let's think about the Ten Commandments. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's the third one. Keep the, the Lord's day. Keep the Sabbath. Honor mom and pop. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Right? Do not bear false witness. Don't covet. Those commands reflect God's righteousness. Those commands reflect God. And you know what the word righteousness means? Everyone in their right place. That's what it means. Or like the Kid A song from Radio Tech, everything in its right place and everyone in the right place. Really, that's what righteousness is. Everyone in the right place according to the king. And if it reflects God, does, does, does God keep the Ten Commandments? That's a, let's ponder that simple, that, that, that simple topic. Do you know how many Christian pastors and theologians and philosophers run away from that, that question? A lot do. They don't answer it plainly. I'll answer it plainly for you. Does God keep the Ten Commandments? Yes, he does. Yes. Yes, because they reflect God. Really? What's the sixth one? Thou shalt not what? Kill. Does God keep that? There are some theologians and philosophers that will refuse to answer that. They're cowards. Well, well, does God keep that or not? Does Jesus keep that? Yes. Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. Does he reflect the fullness of who the Father is? Yes, he does. I have no trouble answering that question. But Mark, wait, 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 no, wait. The fullness of the revelation of God is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does God keep that commandment? Jesus says in John chapter 10, the thief has come in to kill and to steal and to destroy. He doesn't say God comes in to kill and to steal and destroy. He says the thief has. And he's God. I think God keeps those commands because they reflect his goodness. His love. Now, what about, what about other, yeah, okay, there can be situations in self-defense. Of course, we can talk about just war. I know, I know, I know all that stuff. But as a general reality, does God do that? No, because his sovereign love is so big, he can conquer the cosmos without violating the freedom of individuals and coercing. He simply takes hell and death and throws it into the lake of fire. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. When Jesus is around and violence occurs, what does he do? Does he say that's what God does or does he stop the violence? He stops the violence. Now, where was God on March 20th and 27th? Oh, he was near to those people. Then why didn't he stop them? I don't know. That is a mystery. Neither do you. But I knew that God loves them. And I knew that God will take that suffering, that pain, and I know what God calls the eventual result of that pain, death. The New Testament calls death the enemy of Jesus.
this past Monday, I was able to be with um, brothers and sisters at Park City's Presbyterian Church. There was a prayer service for the six members who, of, of Covenant School who, who died in uh, that horrific event on March 27th. And we got to pray. We, we prayed as a church, we prayed as, as a family, and we got in little groups and prayed. And during one of the prayers, I just felt compelled very quietly to pray out loud in my group. And it had some deacons of, from Park City's Pres and um, some, actually some students from, from SMU who were ministered to by Chad. And I just said, Lord, I'm so grateful that you don't negotiate with your enemy, but that you conquer it. And the last enemy is death. And please give that comfort to those families that you don't negotiate with death but that you will overwhelm this death with your life and love, and you will resurrect those individuals, and you'll reunite them to their loved ones. And it was so good to hear those, the groans from these other people open up, like, yes, Lord, that's right. So why do I say these things? We have to do what Nike and I call the Daniel the Tiger thing when it comes to these events is that it's okay to feel two or three things at the same time. It's okay to feel grateful to God that he's with us. It's okay to feel mad at God because these people died. It's okay to question why didn't God do anything. And it's okay to trust in the God who didn't cause this, but will renew them because this is an intrusion into his creation. And we can rejoice in the fact that when God faces his enemy, he conquers it through the overwhelming love of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because his love is stronger than death. This past week, I also had another call from a loved one um, who was troubled and, and happy because of what they heard a five-year-old girl tell them. Mom was putting the babies to bed and they were reading stories and right before the baby, um, the five-year-old put her head on Mama's shoulder while she was still reading. Out of the blue, the five-year-old girl said, Mama, it's okay because even when I'm dead, I will still love you. Oh my God. Mama whispered that to Dad, and uh, Dad couldn't take it. He was so overwhelmed. And this person said, what do you think? And I said, well, that sounds like the voice of God to me. That's the Holy Spirit in that five-year-old child. Because she understood a primary hope that is rooted somewhere in the cosmos, namely in Jesus, that love is stronger than death. And it's going to be okay. Because even when we're dead, we will still love each other. How can that be? Because death isn't permanent. Jesus is. In Romans chapter 8, remember what Paul says toward the end. He says, I am convinced that neither life nor death nor principalities, nor powers, nor any other thing in all creation can separate us from the what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. 
He doesn't say the sovereignty of God. You know why? Because the sovereignty of God is a subset of his love. And his love is the most supreme thing about Jesus. And he will sovereignly reign and bring those people back with one another at the last day. So what can I leave you all with this morning? You can trust that God is good and that God loves you and that when you suffer, you're going to groan. And in those groans, there's even the presence of God groaning with you to remind you of something even bigger than this pain, which is the victory of Jesus over pain and suffering and death, which is yours. And he will be with you, and his grace will be sufficient. But in this world, we're going to have trials and sufferings. In this cosmos, we're going to have them too. But we should be at peace. Because Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and who keeps all the commandments of God and is the faithfulness of God, he's your big brother. And guess what he tells you? He will never leave you nor forsake you. And does he mean that? Yes, he does. And will he keep that? Yes, he will. How long will he keep that? Every day of your life and the life to come. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And when the enemy of death comes your way, will Jesus negotiate with that enemy? He will not. He will overwhelm it. So you can trust that he's good. And you can trust in his faithfulness. And you can trust that this was not part of the original plan, but God will renew this hiccup and make it his plan. That's what he does. He renews all these things and he makes it his plan. God is love. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And he will love you through death and beyond death. That's how good he is. Let's pray. Father, you are good and we love you. And you're the source of all goodness and love. And our hearts break for that families in, in, in Nashville and here. Yet we also know, Lord, even through what we've heard and seen, the tremendous grace of God, your grace, Lord, so big in the scrubs, who are right now comforting those that should be comforting them. And they can only do that by your grace and by your power. And we know, Lord, that Hallie is in your presence beholding your face. And we pray that you give Chad and Jada and Hallie's big brothers grace to know that they will see their sister again. Lord, when we experience suffering and we groan, please, please help us not feel guilty about that, but help us realize that that is your spirit groaning within us. And also, please help us, Lord Jesus, to know that you will not negotiate the enemy, which is not people, not animals, not even creation, but it's death itself, and that you have conquered this through your life, death, and resurrection. We pray in your name. Amen.